You are tuned to your community-supported radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, May 18th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. As the weather warms up after our wet winter, outdoor workers face a summer of heat-related ills, flooding looms, and whitewater raft outfitters anticipate a surging season. The California Report has a roundup. KVMR's Nell and Gorin talks to Community Asian Theater of the Sierra about how it meets an ongoing demand for Asian stories. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A lot of us equate working inside with greater comfort and safety than working outside. But that's not always the case. In San Diego today, California workplace health and safety regulators are holding a public hearing on a proposed rule to prevent heat-related illness in indoor spaces. With more, here's KQED labor correspondent Farida Javala romero The hearing comes years after a state law required Kalosha to adopt a rule to minimize heat-related injuries and illnesses. Under the proposal, employers would be required to provide fresh water and cool-down areas when the temperature hits 82 degrees. At 87, they would have to take steps to lower the temperature of the workspace. Amazon warehouse worker Ana Ortega in San Bernardino says she wants to avoid dizziness and headaches like she's experienced in the past. It's probably one of my biggest concerns, um, especially with the summer coming up. I want to make sure that I'm safe and that I'm going to get home the same way I left, you know, after a work shift. Business groups like the California Chamber of Commerce warn small businesses especially may not be able to afford the proposed mandates. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Residents in the small farm worker community of Planada in Merced County may soon see state funding after Governor Gavin Newsom proposed $290 million in new money to support flood preparedness, response, and recovery. This comes as a study out this month by the UC Merced Community and Labor Center found that 83% of households in Planada faced at least one form of economic loss from flooding earlier this year. Ingrid Brostrom is the director of climate and jobs at the center. She says people's loss of income is having a ripple effect. Many of them were facing eviction. People were without vehicles, which again is another way of of preventing them from employment. And then there's going to be a lot of uh, future losses as well because so many people didn't have either flood insurance or or the federal aid. Of the households that were surveyed for federal assistance, researchers found the average cost of repair was upwards of $30,000. It's not clear how much of Newsom's proposed funding will go to Planada specifically, but it's estimated that the community needs at least $20 million to recover. Rivers in California are flowing fast and wide this year as record snowpacks in the mountains melt. As we just reported, all that water has created flood damage and worries about more to come. But one industry is thriving after years of drought and shrinking rivers, whitewater rafting. From KVPR, Joshua Yeager takes us to the Upper Kern River in the Southern Sierra. Almost as soon as we launch our boat into the river, the directions start coming, and they cascade as swift as the water. Forward, forward! Keep going! Our guide is Miles Curtis. 
He's been navigating the Kern for decades, which is a good thing because we've got a major rapid right ahead of us, and the water feels like ice even through my wetsuit. Dig it in! Keep going! Yeah, baby! Millions of gallons of white foaming water swirl around us. This rapid is called Powerhouse, named after a century-old hydroelectric plant that towers overhead. After about 45 seconds of adrenaline-pumping paddling, we're through it. So we are having what we call big water year. That's Matt Volpert, who runs Kern River Outfitters here. His shop looks like a stable. Big rafts hang from the ceiling. We talk outside. We've had flows now that are higher than anything we've seen since 1983. The snowpack here in the Southern Sierra is 300% of average. And when that starts melting, we have high water and people love high water. Think of uh, like the best powder day you've ever had. But the high water also brings more risk. Authorities are urging people to be extra safe on surging, freezing rivers. Already this year, several people have been swept away. Volpert says customers have to show that they're fit enough to raft, and guides are doing extra training. They have to know, you know, every rock, every, every wave, every hole. The potential danger hasn't deterred customers from enjoying the massive flows. In fact, here on the Kern, a big water year means big business. It means we're going to be really busy. So we opened on April 1, and we expect to be running until mid-September. That's months longer than the most recent seasons, if you could even call them that. The Kern was barely a trickle before a dozen-plus atmospheric rivers drenched California this winter. Drought conditions have been so severe at times that they forced Volpert to close his business. At one point, he considered quitting for good. We actually talk about it all the time. It's like, man, what are we doing here? It's a question outfitters throughout the West ask with increasing frequency. That's according to Aaron Bannon, director of America Outdoors. He represents 300 whitewater companies nationwide. He says many in California are working hard to adapt to the state's extreme weather whiplash, worsened by human-caused climate change. Some have modified trips when flows are piddly. Maybe you, you know, do two half-day trips instead of one full-day trip. Despite biblical-seeming challenges, the pandemic, wildfires, drought, flooding, Bannon and others say outfitters are a resilient bunch. Back on the river, we've just gone through another rapid. Our guide Curtis has his fingers crossed that the so-called big melt of the record snowpack doesn't happen too fast and make the river too dangerous. In the meantime, Curtis says rafters should make the most of a banner season. Yep, this is the season to raft. And as high temperatures rise across the Sierra, the high water might be the place to beat the heat. For the California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager on the Upper Kern River. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. 
And that is this edition of the California Report for Thursday, May 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. And listeners, if you like the show, remember to subscribe to our daily California Report podcast. Find it in all the usual podcast places. You can also ask your home device to play the California Report. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Warm conditions continue with daytime highs in the 80s. Increasing heat will continue accelerating snowmelt. In the heat of the day, resist the temptation to jump into a running stream or river to cool off. Everything is just flowing too fast, too cold, and too high. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, mostly clear with a low around 59. Friday will be sunny with a high near 84 and a low approaching 60. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 45. Friday will see a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms, otherwise sunny with a high near 78. Friday night, partly cloudy with a low around 46. The National Weather Service is warning that through Monday evening, due to unseasonably warm temperatures, excessive runoff may result in flooding of rivers, creeks, streams, and other low-lying and flood-prone locations. Creeks and streams may rise out of their banks, and crossings may be flooded. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low around 59. Sunny Friday with a high near 90 and a low around 57. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. With only three performances remaining of its current production, The Great Leap, Cats, Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, is poised to celebrate its 30th anniversary. The founders never intended the theater company to last this long, but Nevada County demonstrated a continuing hunger for stories of Asian heritage. KVMR's Nell and Gorin talks with a trio of artists who make Cats happen. With me are Jeannie Wood, the executive director of Cats, Kenny Nguyen, who stars in the latest production, The Great Leap, and Teresa Shea, the set designer for The Great Leap. The Great Leap is running through May 20th at the historic Nevada Theater in Nevada City. Jeannie, Kenny, and Teresa, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. <laughs> thanks for having us. Thank you. Before we talk about your current show, The Great Leap, I'd like to tell our listeners a bit about Cats. So, Jeannie, mm-hmm. I know you're one of the founding members yes. of Cats. Mm-hmm. How long has it been in existence and what is oh its my God. current We've mission? Been- this is our 29th year. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. And we didn't start out planning it to be, we didn't start out planning it to last this long period. But the community wants it. They want what we do. So we continue to do it. So I can't believe, you know, next year is our 30th year. Are you going to do special celebrations for the 30th well, next year? Well, we haven't really talked about that yet, but probably it's a milestone. It's a huge milestone yes. for a nonprofit and a, and a performing arts organization yes. both to reach 30 years. That, congratulations. That's, Thank that's you. a great achievement. And what is it? Could you describe the current mission of CATS? Our mission is to prom- promote cultural diversity, cultural enrichment through multicultural theater events and workshops. And we serve uh, Nevada County, Sacramento County, and the region. Uh, we have a following from the Bay Area. 
We uh, do one show a year primarily, and sometimes we uh, sponsor other actors to bring in their traveling shows. And we have cultural events throughout the years, like book readings, the annual Chinese New Year Festival. Although we haven't had that for three years because of COVID, we will you know, have it again next year, the Year of the Dragon. So we have cooking classes. We go on tours. We, we just do a lot of cultural stuff as well. That's a lot. And it's an all-volunteer organization, I yeah, believe? Yes, yeah. yes, we Which are. Which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I noticed looking at your website that you have extremely long-term volunteers, so found, founding members who are still Oh, oh my God. We, you sign up, you don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sign up. We recruit you, and you know we're, we're, we're family. We're here for the long-term. I noticed on the CATS website, there was a note from one of your board members that only 2% of Nevada County's population is Asian-American. I think Which it's one percent now. I don't know. <laughs> it's small. Somebody, In other it's words, very small. It's yes. small. Two now that I'm here. I'm just, just going to say that. <laughs> so, I'm wondering how receptive you feel that other ninety-eight percent has been to the work that Cats does in the I, community. They they have been very receptive. I mean, which is why we've been pushing thirty years is because. In the beginning, we say, okay, we'll just do one, you know, we'll just do one, and then we're done. And then they say, and then they keep asking us, what are you going to be doing next year? Oh, dear. Okay. So we go back to the drawing board with, you know, Lisa, we get some scripts, and we all start reading it. And, and, you know, then we decide, or she decides, and then we do it. And then we say, oh, got through with that one. And then they'll ask us, what about next year? So we feel the push from the community of wanting more of these kinds of stories because a lot of times these stories are not taught in schools. So we feel that we fit a need to educate and entertain. And a lot of times people leave inspired and maybe dig within themselves their own heritage. And we feel that, and also with the recent uh, Asian hate, much more so that we need to educate people about who we are as a people. A lot of people say, hey, you know, humans are humans, experience is universal. Why all this focus on identity of any kind of our ethnic identity, our cultural or racial identity? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that of, of why we need to or if we do focus on that and what your experience is with that. We all have a uniqueness. Every ethnic group has something very special growing up Chinese American, you know, my parents always referred to home as China, whereas home for me is America. So it's like, okay, I have to switch gears and come from their perspective. Growing up, it was really hard for me because I was caught between two worlds. You know, I wasn't Chinese enough. I'm not American enough. You can't, I speak okay, but not well. But now, now that I'm older and much older, I embrace the best of my world. I really feel that while it was a struggle growing up, it added so much more to who I am. And that's why whatever your ethnic background is, find it. Find out what it is. Really explore and look and uh, and see what your heritage teaches you more about you, about your people. So whatever it is, it has something we to offer. We are all a piece to the puzzle. Okay? <laughs> We're yeah. all an important piece. You take that piece away, it's like something's missing. Yeah. Everybody, collectively, we're all a, a unique piece to the wonderful nation that we are. 
Yeah, I'm old enough that I grew up with the idea that America is a melting pot. Yes. But when I was older, uh, someone said, you know, we're really more of a tossed salad. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was good. Or, or stir fry, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like we have a lot of ingredients and they all harmonize together mm -hmm. if we're lucky. We hope they do. Mm -hmm. um, but they're distinct also. Like, oh, there's a piece of broccoli. There's a noodle. There's some, uh -huh. some chicken, whatever. <laughs> we're all distinct pieces um, of this, this recipe mm -hmm. and not all melted together into mm -hmm. one. The term Americans always being redefined like every day, right? Um, we're slowly growing to more, that term being more encompassing. I think, like you said, a stir fry has the <laughs> broccoli, the noodle, um, the onion. And sometimes, you know, it's it's nice to give that, take a bite of, out of the, the meal and just taste the broccoli for a bit. But that's because it's important to sometimes emphasize certain differences that we have in a culture the American culture, but also to embrace it. And that leads to more appreciation of other people and understanding of everyone's background and, and different upbringings. And that's, you know, because of that kind of understanding, we're going to be just, just a better society for it. I'm guessing you're a Vietnamese American. Right. And you're playing a Chinese American character. And I'm wondering what you feel there are similarities and differences in those cultures in here. There, there are prob probably differences, but growing up in the Bay Area, I had a lot of collectively Asian American friends from all different parts, namely Filipinos, Chinese Americans, um, Vietnamese Americans, and we all just hung out together. So we identified namely as Asian Americans and not like separate distinct groups within the Asian culture. You know, I just am proud to represent Asian Americans as a whole. And I don't really see any distinguishing points between Chinese versus Vietnamese or Filipino. Just, I'm just proud that this show, we can represent the, the, the total group of Asian Americans. Do you want to say a little bit about what The Great Leap is about for those who haven't seen the it? The Great Leap is about loosely based on Lauren Yee's father, who grew up playing basketball in the courts of San Francisco Chinatown. And he was very good. And he did go to China to play in an exhibition game. This story is based on loosely on her father's experience playing with Chinese basketball players. It is not about that. It's it's it just the premise. It's the wok holding the stir fry of all yeah. this mix of things. Oh, that's very good. Uh, I like that. It's just the it's just the premise the premise mm -hmm. of it because everything that all all the dynamic interpersonal dynamics mm -hmm. that of our lives play out like games mm -hmm. if you look yes. at it in some ways. It's life through the lens of basketball. Nicely said. To hear more about Cats and The Great Leap, go to the podcast section of the KVMR website where you can stream or download our full interview. To learn more about Cats, go to their website, catsweb.org, C-A-T-S-W-E-B.org. We've been talking to Jeannie Wood, the executive director of Cats, the community Asian theater of the Sierra, Kenny Wynn, who stars in the latest Cats production, The Great Leap, and Teresa Shea, the set designer for The Great Leap. Thanks to all of you for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. For some unknown reason, I woke up this morning thinking about dancing school. The place hasn't crossed my mind in 50 years. I have no idea what dream or scent or combination of invisible factors brought the memory back today. I imagine memory as a jukebox, and sometimes when you push the buttons, it's not the right 45 that drops into place, but the one next to it. 
in my head anyway, the records are filed in random order. So I was probably preparing to recall oatmeal, anticipating breakfast, but got dancing school instead. I'm not talking about a ballet school for little girls or the modern dance classes I took on Union Street. Dancing school, capital D, capital S, was where kids of my age, 13, and class, upper middle, and religion, a mix of the predominantly Jewish kids in my school and the scattering of Protestants, learned to foxtrot and waltz in San Francisco. Classes were held at the swanky California club downtown. Girls had to wear dresses and white gloves, boys' suits and ties. If I was 13, this was 1968, a strange time in history to be practicing the waltz, since the rest of the city was listening to Grace Slick in Golden Gate Park and learning to inhale. Nevertheless, I waited outside our house on Divisadero on Tuesday nights after supper for the carpool fervently hoping the snaps on my garter belt didn't spontaneously unhook themselves from my stockings and cause the kind of acute embarrassment I spent most of puberty dreading. Pantyhose had not yet been invented. This is something you don't hear much about, the terror of girls for the strange layers of undergarments they have to learn to manage. God forbid you got your period on a dancing school day and had to wrangle both garter belt and menstrual pad belt and then not trip over your partner's feet doing the cha-cha-cha. We were too young for tampons, which were rumored among eighth graders, to make you not a virgin anymore and were therefore shunned. The biggest revelation of dancing school was not the blue Danube. It was that boys could sweat through their hands. Our gloves left palms and fingers dry in a kind of clammy way when we stripped them off in somebody's mother's car on the way home. The boys had no protection and regularly left wet handprints on our dresses at waist level. If you liked the boy, this could be taken in stride, but usually we didn't like the ones who sweated overtly. Eighth grade is all about keeping your cool and groaned in disgust when they chose us as partners. Girls are like baby sharks. They'll tear apart whoever's already bleeding. I'm no longer 13 or upper middle class, and aside from the odd wedding, don't do much waltzing. But recently someone pulled me into his arms and twirled me around a dance floor, refreshing my memory of those three steps into corners of an imaginary box on the ground, the proprietary embrace, the spinning and turning. I've gotten better at following over the years and much less self-conscious. Neither of our hands began to sweat. And it's interesting what kind of music you can end up waltzing to, even if you're not too stoned, the Jefferson Airplane. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, May 18th. 
KVMR Community Radio gets support from you, our generous listeners, and from Mike Bratton State Farm Agency, providing over 38 years of experience with home, auto, life, and business insurance products and financial services. The Mike Bratton team proudly supports the Nevada County community. MikeBrattonAgency.com and Mal Paint and Glass, supplying Nevada County with paints, stains, and supplies since 1949, offering custom color matching and a full-service glass shop for residential and commercial projects. MalPaintAndGlass.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. As you know, it's membership drive time at KVMR. If you appreciate the work of the evening news team, you can honor them by donating now at kvmr.org or by calling 530-265-9555. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.